Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. I'm Chris. And this week, we are looking at agency in The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yeah. And so maybe we should start by kind of defining what we mean by agency. I mean, obviously, there's an organization that does something. Mm -hmm. And then there's what people kind of like exert their own agency where I would say that's, I mean, I guess they would kind of have a similar route, right, mm-hmm. of doing something. <laughs> but yeah, I think for people, it's in some ways having the ability to be able to do something and the ability to make certain choices. Yeah, I think of it very much through like my studies uh, in history of when you talk about agency as something that people have or that is limited. And in particular, it's something that I've kind of read more with more recent historians of kind of talking about how even oppressed peoples uh, are not entirely victimized, right? They maintain agency. And so even as they are oppressed or victimized, they are not defined by that and that they continue to exert agency uh, in, in ways that they can. And so looking at that type of agency is a way of where people can, as you said, make their own decisions and choices. But then within literature, I've also read about how agency is kind of interpreted as characters who move the plot forward rather than are moved forward by the plot. So they're like mm. active instead of reactive. So it'll be kind of interesting seeing these different kinds of modes of analysis within our discussion. Mm. Mm-hmm. So basically, usually... Female characters don't have very much of that throughout the majority of literature. Yes, indeed. They're, they they aren't even reactive. They are the things that the main characters react to. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh... Go back and listen to our gender in Lord of the Rings episode to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so why don't we get into the episode with a quote? Sounds good. So this quote is... Our beloved Samwise Gamgee, and he is talking to Frodo in Return of the King at the stairs of Kirith Ungol. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures as I used to call them, I used to think that they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for, because they wanted them, because they're exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of a sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered, or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seemed to have just landed in them usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know, because they'd have been forgotten. You hear about those as just went on. Not all to a good end, mind you. At least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same, like old Mr. Bilbo. Those aren't always the best tales to hear. They may be in the best tales to get landed in. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. What sort of tale indeed? I mean, that might be the question that that we discuss here. Is this a tale where they are propelled into a story Mm -hmm. or one in which they not necessarily go out seeking it, but they are active in the storytelling process? Yeah, that is interesting because I feel like there's a lot of ways in which they are propelled into it, Mm. at least at the start of it all. Mm -hmm. Bilbo very literally propelled through a cave with the goblins Mm -hmm. to find the ring in the first place. And then 
that naturally passing to Frodo. Mm-hmm. Frodo had no choice about, oh, my uncle who took me in after my parents died has this evil ring, you know? Yeah, it was just kind of thrust upon him and he had to try to get it out of the Shire. But then once he gets to Rivendell and there's the council, then I think that he does make a choice to to volunteer to continue to see this through to the end to try to destroy the ring. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I think that they, they certainly make choices to continue on, but they also are propelled by a narrative. And certainly Tolkien is known for, for that kind of narrative as well. So it'll be, I think, an interesting discussion to talk about agency in Lord of the Rings. So what's your character? I thought about talking about Bilbo Baggins. Ah, great. So we are currently reading The Hobbit together. And as we do we're so... cute like that. It's very true. <laughs> and as we do so, it's been really interesting kind of seeing that narrative, especially because it is so different from the writing style of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that kind of whimsy that comes into it is really interesting to look at Bilbo's agency because he literally is thrust into this adventure by Gandalf, who Gandalf is just like, you know what? I want to make it your house, the one where <laughs> this meeting is going on. I want to volunteer you to be a burglar, right? And Bilbo is very much kind of rushed along on that. But he does is the one who makes the choice to actually go out and do it. Basically, just because he's like, my pride is hurt. I'm not useless. <laughs> yeah. And he's got that kind of tookish side to him, right? Where he kind of wants to go do do other things. And so... He's very much kind of manipulated into this situation, but then he is the one who chooses to go. But he also has no idea what he's doing. I know, he's so (laughs) ill-prepared. He leaves behind all of his stuff, and he has no idea what this path is going to be, how far he's going, what what dangers he's going to cross as they go. The dwarves often don't know what dangers they're going to cross as they go, right? And so it's such an interesting concept because I think compared to Lord of the Rings and Frodo's journey, there's so much more kind of worry and despair about Frodo's journey because it's just a different toned book. But Bilbo's is almost gleefully ignorant Mm-hmm. of what the journey is going to entail, right? It's almost like a fairy tale style of like, oh, this is one of those those tales that, that Sam was kind of talking about where people are almost thrust into something. And so while he makes the choice to go... <laughs> How many times are we going to say thrust? In the- <laughs> is there a problem with the word thrust? <laughs> You're making there be a problem with it. <laughs> Anyways, continue. I just think that it's it's interesting to see Bilbo make choices along the way. And I think that's an interesting character element about Bilbo, too, is that he kind of grows into a character who is more comfortable making those choices. And as he goes through, he is more likely to take risks and to try to protect people. And I think that the, a great example of that is with the spiders in Mirkwood, where he puts on the ring and he starts to cajole the spiders and, and and tease them and all these other kinds of things to get them away from the dwarves. And he is the one who saves them because he uses this action to do so. And in that process is when he names Stink. And I think that that's kind of telling because this is a place where he is becoming a character who would have a named sword. Mm. He's a character who is a more legendary or a more active character 
where it's not just he's someone who's been brought along and happens to have a sword on him. He's a character who is going to actively use that sword. He also becomes a character that makes up taunting songs to his enemies. Yes, indeed. Excellent songs. That should have been our quote. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because that brings up the question for me, looking at Bilbo, how much knowledge do you need to have to really be able to access like full agency? Mm, That's a good question. Because there's so much of the time that Bilbo just like, learns more and more and more like as they're going along Mm -hmm. rather than he sat down and found out what it was going to be like and what they were up against and the dragon and everything at the beginning you know Mm -hmm. so when you don't have all the information or especially if information is kept from you Mm -hmm. then how much agency do you have to to make those decisions not that any of us ever have all of the information we could possibly have but yeah i don't know it's just interesting question that is an interesting question because now i'm thinking the opposite direction as well you know you mentioned having all the information if you had all the information you also don't have agency because then it's like there's fate there's destiny all of these things will happen in this exact way well i mean like not necessarily all the information as far as this will cause this effect mm-hmm. you know for sure i, I just was taking it a step further of yeah. like having actually all the information also takes away if agency. you're janet yeah yeah from the good place <laughs> you know she seems to have some agency <laughs> <laughs> having something be predestined also means that you are not an agent you don't have yeah choice if this is something that has been laid out before you Mm -hmm. and i think that's an interesting aspect of lord of the rings because there is no destiny for the ring there's always the choices that could happen and and the ring itself is an agent within what's going on in it but there's there's no prophecy about that there are prophecies about for example aragorn coming back but there aren't prophecies about this kind of main conflict and this main issue of the ring and i think that that's a really interesting point because it does make it so that there is more of that agency this would be a great conversation to have in harry potter as well right um talking about oh we will uh someday (laughs) (laughs) yeah um well in some ways brings me to my plot point yeah what is it which is the dead army Mm. So if if y'all don't remember, basically a long time ago, there was this king and he had an army and he was, had an oath that he had sworn to Isildur. And he basically rescinded that mm-hmm. and they ran away and didn't fight in the battle. So then he was cursed and his army was cursed to basically never fully die until they had um, fulfilled their oath. Mm -hmm. And only somebody who was one of Isildur's heirs could call upon them and basically say, fight with us and then we hold your oath fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting because at first it seemed like they did have agency, right? Because they swore the oath to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then they use their agency to change their mind, (laughs) which um, was not necessarily the most noble of actions. But then once they are cursed, they lose their agency because 
now they, they can't do anything. And, and now it becomes almost this fulfilled prophecy sort of thing. Like mm. they're stuck in this state until someone in the future, if someone in the future ever calls upon them, and then they have to basically act or be stuck in this dead slash undead state for the rest of time. Mm. And in that state, they can't really choose to do anything because they're dead. And all they can do is, like, hang out in this cave and wait for someone to come by who happens to be Sildur's heir. And so, yeah, they've lost so much of their agency. But then it goes to when Aragorn does come and ask them to fight with him. And it's kind of hard because they agree but i don't know how much choice they actually had you know mm. i mean it sounds like they they could have said no that's why the he's got to ask what say you mm-hmm. because they have to agree to fulfill that but on the other hand if they didn't they then they're just Aragorn would have again. lost and then there's no there's no air <laughs> right <laughs> So, yeah, how much agency do you have when there's two choices? Mm -hmm. Maybe neither of which you want to do. But then, at the end of of their time, it's kind of interesting because then they aren't given the choice to fight again. Hmm. He holds their oath fulfilled instead of, hey, we have this other really big battle coming up you could really help us out <laughs> want to join us for round two you know your oath will be double fulfilled yeah you'll you'll right? be really really restful yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll sing an extra song about you <laughs> uh, yeah so i think that would just have been interesting if they had been given that choice mm. and then they could have chosen like no we want our oath fulfilled now or actually we do want to kind of have a role to play in defeating this evil that's that's taking over middle earth yeah i wonder what that's like in the book because i remember just the movie version where they're pressing aragorn to or the, the king is pressing aragorn to claim that their oath is fulfilled right and to let them rest um and so there he yeah. is kind of clearly showing his choice that he but wants Gimli's to like it. don't do that yeah <laughs> they're really helpful so yeah I, I think it's an interesting an interesting question of how much agency they have because they certainly are limited by circumstance they have things thrust upon them by people who are <laughs> sorry now every time you say that I'm just gonna laugh all right I'll, I'll try to do other words then uh imposed there you go they have Things imposed upon them by those who are more powerful than they are, whether that be specific power of having a larger army or just the power over them of forcing them or, or, or manipulating them into doing what they want, right? So Isildur mm-hmm. was essentially probably using this curse as a way of maintaining that oath, and then Aragorn wouldn't have gotten them to do it if he didn't have the power to give them what they wanted in yeah. f- holding that oath fulfilled. And so I think that's that is a really good example of of how structural agency can exist. Obviously in a fantasy world, mm-hmm. but you know, this is the kind of thing where if someone has economic or social power over you, you have less agency to do things as you will. And so that's why, you know, in the early 1900s, we had African-American entertainers participating in minstrel shows that were highly racist because this is a way for them to one of the few ways they could actually find success Mm -hmm. that could then challenge those structures and so 
they were limited by the settings around them and the opportunities given to them by those who had greater power. But that didn't mean that they didn't have the choice to engage or not to engage in those problematic performances. Yeah. 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 And so just like that, I think I think you're right. I think that they they do have some limited agency. They are able to choose to help Aragorn, even though it's the better choice of bad choices, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't actually feel any connection loyalty. or loyalty or, or any other kind of rationale for why they'd want to fight here other than their own self-preservation. Or actually opposite of self-preservation. <laughs> there you go. Self-denigration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, why don't we go on to our questions? Okay. What's your question? My question is, at the end of The Lord of the Rings, when Frodo chooses not to throw the ring into Mount Doom, Mm. is that an act of agency? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this before when I was thinking about like, oh, should I talk about Frodo? But then I'm like, oh, I always talk about Frodo, even though I always love to talk about Frodo, maybe (laughs) I should do something else. Um, hmm. It's really hard to say Mm -hmm. because... If we look at when Frodo had the most agency, Mm. the choices that he made were always to walk towards Mordor Mm -hmm. with this ring with the intent of destroying it Mm -hmm. and, you know, sacrifice everything for it. So we see him seem to have less and less agency as they get closer and as the ring takes more and more of a toll on him and he starts you know losing some of his abilities as well yeah up until till that point at mount doom and so i don't know i think it honestly could really go either way Mm -hmm. because i guess that's the that's the question did the ring corrupt him to the point where he could not make a decision for himself Mm -hmm. or is it more more like an addiction Mm -hmm. you know where there's more choices, maybe some choices that are limited, but there's some choice there rather than this thing is actually like possessing and controlling you, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm really not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually really puzzled by this too, particularly after also looking at Isildur when he was in the same situation mm-hmm. because he hadn't been having the ring for months on end the way that Frodo had and arguably he's also just not as strong or good as Frodo but Mm -hmm. he immediately thinks that he's going to use this ring he's going to take it and use it and not toss it in and to me that definitely feels like agency manipulated agency where he is being corrupted or manipulated by the potential of the ring and what it can give to him or what it says that it can give to him but he still is the one making that decision of i want to go after this more selfish action and so there certainly is an influence that the ring gives even from the very beginning so i guess the question is does this influence kind of as you as you mentioned does this influence change your desire or does it change your ability to make those choices because if it changes your desire then what it is is just that frodo is making the choice to go after his new desire that has been altered by the ring. But if that's his actual desire, though it's manipulated, he's the one making that choice. But I don't know, because I would say if your desire changes because 
this outside force is making it change, that would seem like you've lost some agency there. Interesting. Yeah. Because that that's the other thing is look at Golem, mm-hmm. right? And look at Golem's desire for the ring, which is does not change, but he does make the choice to help Frodo. And he then follows and helps Frodo willingly until he feels betrayed. Mm-hmm. But there, his desire has not changed, but he still made his own choice on how to engage that desire. It's true. But I think maybe he had more ability to do so because he was not in possession of the ring at the time. Quite possible, right? Yeah. But maybe not because his first murder wasn't when he was in possession of the ring. It was when That's someone else true. was. And yeah. so, yeah, there's all these different kinds of questions. I think I think the ring is why the ring is such a compelling artifact. It's not just a MacGuffin. It's this thing that really is tied into the choices of the characters and it plays a part in ways that I think are really really interesting yeah well that kind of brings me to my question what is your question (laughs) which is how much agency do you think the ring has Ooh. how much is it it, the ring itself (laughs) how much is it really just Sauron's will and it's kind of just like a conduit Mm mm-hmm Which also, while we were talking about throwing the ring in, I was like, could Sauron throw the ring in? Mm. I mean, he probably would know that it would kill him. Yeah, but could he make that choice? Mm. That's a good question. Or would the ring compel him not to, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, We obviously don't know enough about Sauron to really be able to analyze that. But yeah, that's very, very interesting. Because I, I kind of look at the ring similarly to how I look at like droids in Star Wars where this is something that is created mm-hmm. and not programmed in the same way but given magical properties that give it a general motivation and that motivation is to be with Sauron and help him control the world but within that I think that it has its own motivations because I think that if it went to Galadriel Mm-hmm. It would have been fine helping her control the world. <laughs> it would prefer Sauron, but it also would do what it could to help her instead, or Saruman, or whoever else it might be, right? I think that it's not giving false promises to these these other people. <laughs> I think it's not just saying, I'm going to help you become more powerful so that I can eventually get back to Sauron. It's just been unhappy with hobbits, exactly. basically. <laughs> Halflings give it no real power. <laughs> so it has agency enough to make choice. One just wants to like keep it in a cave, and the other one wants to destroy it. Not as optimal. Yeah, talk about limited agency by <laughs> forces that have power over it like (laughs) no that's so fascinating though because yeah it 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 does not have the ability to walk around or Mm -hmm. to to communicate outside of very limited means right Mm -hmm. it has these more subtle ways of influencing people and it is able to use that which i think gives it agency for its own ends even though those ends were in some ways, given to it by its creator. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a good example, actually, now that I think about it, of something with limited agency, limited ability, but one that still makes its cho- its own choices. Huh. <laughs> so one of these days we should talk about the ring as a character. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. 
very, very interesting little object there. Yeah. Slash person slash just blood and malice. (laughs) And metal. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that too. Yeah, it's interesting because in some ways it's agency... It seems to be so limited. Mm -hmm. If it had a body, it would be able to do so much more. At the same time, well, and it it does have this, like, desire to be reunited with Sauron, and we don't know how much of that Sauron put that into it versus Mm -hmm. it just has its own desire for that. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, it has the ability to override other people's agency by, like, manipulating its way onto their finger or falling off. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's just, it's a very interesting piece of jewelry. It is. It is indeed. Well, why don't we move on to our missed opportunities? Sounds good. What's yours? My missed opportunity is that we don't see any economic systems within Lord of the Rings. Mm. And so this is back to our old segment of what is Chris studying in grad school? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm doing a lot of labor history and any of those other kinds of things. But I think that that can be a really important element of granting or limiting people's agency. For sure. And noting the agency of someone who is oppressed or who is manipulated. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there could have been really interesting things to see with that. I think the close that we come is with the dwarves who were taken out of the Lonely Mountain, who lost their ability to... uh, to hoard gold, hoard gold, basically, <laughs> and, and mine these things and their ex- economic labor uh, and, and and industry that they did. And so when they retake the Lonely Mountain and this kind of dispute between them and the elves and the humans about what to do with this hoard is, I think, an interesting one to discuss within that those terms. But even that doesn't really get into it. And they're always all, you know, they have the dragon sickness, right? So there's all, still fantasy stuff going on. <laughs> but I think that especially in the, the story of The Lord of the Rings, we don't really see how much Rohan is suffering under these attacks and the war that exists. And we don't see how this is affecting the farmers in Gondor. And we don't see how decisions are influenced by these economic conditions or even political conditions that are changing within the world during this time of strife. And I would have loved to see a little bit more of that. I think this is one of the problems with having a story that is almost entirely kind of top level or just looking at kings and heroes and things like that Mm -hmm. and not a lot of kind of random Gondorian citizen. And so I think that having more of that would have been really interesting to see more of of what was going on on the social level rather than just the kind of high-level, quote-unquote, great leaders level. Yeah, I totally agree. I think different characters have more wealth than others, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the Saxville Bagginses really want Bag End, and they're so mad that he's lived so long and hasn't gone to them, and now he's going to go to Frodo Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that. And, yeah, why not? What jobs do these people even have? Why do they need wealth? Like, we don't see anyone's options limited because they don't have access to resources. I mean, like, he has cheese and meat and stuff like that. So, obviously, he has to be buying that from someone or mm-hmm. trading it at the very least. But, yeah, we we don't know anything besides, like, wealth passing down in families. Well, and that's the weird thing, too. So, like, Bilbo goes on this journey, and he has 
plenty of wealth, Mm -hmm. but because he can't take it with him, he then is at the mercy of other people's hospitality. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's just all very interesting. Good summation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so one place maybe we could see a little bit would which leads me into my missed opportunity which is we don't get to really see a lot of the ramifications of Seoden's loss of agency Mm. whether that's personal within himself how that makes him you know potentially question everything or not trust anyone or any of these different things we never really get to see that and we also don't get to see it very much in relation to his niece and nephew Mm -hmm. that should you know would be pretty dramatic (laughs) and then also kind of to your economic point i think maybe we get to see a little bit of it like at least i don't know i'm not sure about in the in the book but at least in the movie the depiction of some of the like peasants and stuff that are in the land of Rohan, how much they have suffered Mm. because of the leadership and the choices that are being made to the point where, yeah, it seems like they're in much more poverty. Yeah, that's true. And I suppose a good example would also be Eomir, where he continues to fight against Wormtongue until he gets exiled. And he Mm -hmm. him and the riders who go with him leave Rohan, right? Because other than that, no one goes to support Gondor. No one goes to, to kind of choose to fight outside of whether their king tells them to. Yeah. And I think that's the one time that we see someone having a bit of agency on their own. Mm-hmm. Mm, good mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I was thinking about Theoden's loss of agency as well as an interesting point for the podcast because, yeah, other than like his kind of angry upsetness with Wormtongue right after he regains his agency, we don't see this affecting him. And he, you know, by the time he sees Wormtongue and Saruman later on, he's completely forgiving. and mm-hmm. which, is, see, which is great. Which is great. But, but there would still be some trauma left from, exactly. you know, being possessed. Yeah, and it would be wonderful to see that affecting his later decisions and, and other, other aspects. Yeah. So, good point. Yeah. Cool. So what's your takeaway? My takeaway is kind of seeing that quote as more important to the story as a whole than I think I initially thought. Mm. You know, we we typically see Sam's speech as being amazing just because Sam's great and it shows a a great element of the relationship between him and Frodo and the way they kind of see the world and, and where they are in their journey. But I think it also is telling about Tolkien himself knowing and understanding how different narratives work and how this narrative in Lord of the Rings is different from The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful. And I think that a next time I read through it, I'd really like to kind of look more through that angle of where are these choices being made? How are these difficult? What are they being influenced by? And kind of focused on choices and agency more than I have in the past. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, it's just so interesting to see that quote. And not only apply it to stories like you were talking about, which, yeah, I I should honestly pay more attention to as well, but also just applied to real life Mm. because I think that the vast majority of us out there in the world, we're somewhere in between these things. And the vast majority of people, it's both and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's 
we are born into this world in whatever family we're in, whatever socioeconomic bracket we're in, whatever race we are, whatever biological sex, whatever abilities, you know, all of these things. And then within that, we try to make our way and make sense of things and, and journey along. And so it'd be interesting to think about whether in up times or down times, this tension of is this story just whisking me away or am I making these choices here? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it, it's probably a lot of parts of it is both and that would be for our triumphs and our failures so yeah 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 absolutely cool so should we look up what we're talking about next week sure we're going back to the hunger games correct we are so we're gonna talk about identity that'll be good yeah identity and hunger games that'll be next week well thanks for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines you can find us on social media by searching for geek between the lines on facebook instagram twitter or pinterest you can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines, or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you can get your own access to special content and goodies that we provide for them for as low as $1 a month. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or search for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! Go.